0: But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his commands. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you again, Father, for all the victories of this church. Uh, Father, it just continues uh, to, to see you move through this church is an amazing thing. And Father, we praise you for that. Father, I invite you in this room as I do every Sunday. I ask that the Holy Spirit anoint each and every person in here, Father, that they have open hearts and open minds to the message that you prepared for me to give today. And Father, let's make that clear. This is your message. Father, take me out of this. Uh, Father, don't let me get in your way. If there's anything that I need to add or subtract from this sermon, Father, you tell me. I'll do it. I'll be obedient to that. Father, in this moment... I'm asking that you anoint me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, Father, that you take all of my distractions away, anything that tries to cause distraction. Uh, Father, my my fear, um, my doubt, uh, worry, anxiety, Father, I ask that you take all that away from me and you replace it, Father, today I need your boldness, I need your wisdom, and again, Father, most importantly, your love to pour out onto your congregation. I ask these things in your name, Father, help us to love Laugh and forgive. Amen. Amen. All right. Years back at the jewelry store, there was a lady that came in with her granddaughter. She walks up to the counter and uh, she said, I have a ring that I would like for you guys to take the stones out of and take the gold and make my granddaughter her wedding ring. Well, as they were looking at this ring, she pulled it out, and it was a big, gaudy ring. Okay, I mean, diamonds all over it, big stone in the middle. I mean, basically barely fit in between her knuckles, right? And I remember the granddaughter looking at her, and she said, Grandma, why did y'all like those big, ugly rings back then when you got married? Like, why would you have a wedding ring that big and that gaudy? And I'll never forget what the lady said to her, what the grandmother said to her. She said, because back then... Marriage was a big deal. That's that sat with me. Today we're going to continue our series entitled Warrior Marriage. Uh, last week we started this series by discussing God's true purpose for marriage. Okay? The purpose is get man and woman together, have children, raise them in the ways of God. Then they have children, they do the same thing. They have children, they do the same thing. And again, God's kingdom is built in a major way. We also talked about how the number one way that God builds his kingdom is through marriage, right? Again, raising children, so forth, it just carries on. It's a legacy that carries on. We also discussed last week the biblical instructions of who God wants us to marry. If you're a man, you marry a woman. If you're a woman, you marry a man. And then we make sure that we also marry a believer with a strong foundation, okay? We don't don't marry potential Right, I said that last week, we marry patterns, somebody that has that strong foundation of Jesus Christ. Today's sermon, we will be focused on one word, guys. This one word is very, very important, and it's not taken seriously enough in the secular world that we live in today, and unfortunately, it's not taken seriously in some churches today either. This one word plays a huge role when it comes to how God operates with us. In fact, this one word is so important that it is mentioned 313 times throughout the Bible. This one very important word is covenant. Covenant. God has always operated with us through covenants. Whenever God wants to or wanted to establish things biblically in, the, in biblical times, uh, this is what he would do with his people. He would establish a covenant. As Christians, we hear this word a lot, but some of us probably do not understand exactly what a covenant is. I want to look at the definition of covenant, where two or more parties come together to make a contractual agreement on promises, stipulations, privileges, and responsibilities. When you enter a covenant with God, guys, you need to understand that you're actually signing off on and agreeing to a contract that he has created. You're saying to him that you will follow the guidelines that he has put into place, guys. It's just like my business. We, we rent a, a location in Texarkana, I have a landlord, we have a lease agreement that we go over every five years. And when I sign off on that lease agreement, that contract, I'm saying that I'll pay your rent every single month, right? It's an agreement that I have with my landlord. It's no different here, guys, whenever you have a covenant with God. So for all of you that are here today listening online or that are here in the in the, in the church that are married, I need you to understand you have signed off on and agreed to a contract with God. This contract is called the marriage covenant. And for those of you listening that are not married, take really good notes because you need to know what you're getting yourself into one day. I want to go look at one of the first times the word covenant was mentioned in the Bible pertaining to marriage. But before we pull up this scripture, guys, I want to set the scene for you. At this time, we're we're going to look at Malachi. And at this time, the men of Judah were not living in the ways of God. And because of this, they had fallen out of God's favor. So, at this time, right before I'm fixing to read the scripture, it was talking about how they went to the prophet Malachi. And they wanted to know why God wouldn't accept their offerings now let's look at Malachi 2 13 through 14 another thing you do you flood the Lord's altar with tears you weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands you ask why it is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth you have been unfaithful to her though she is your partner The wife of your marriage covenant. The marriage covenant is a divinely relational bond between God himself and mankind that is under his authority and operation, not your authority and operation. That's the problem with these men right here. They were trying to do things their way in the marriage covenant. Stupid. Stupid. You need to understand when your pride takes over and you try to operate God's marriage covenant your way, you need to understand what you're doing. You're kicking God out and you're inviting the devil in. That's what's wrong with a lot of marriages today, guys. Too many people try to operate their marriage how they see fit instead of how God intended it to be. There are three main points we need to know and understand about God's marriage covenant. And if you follow through with these three things, I promise you guys, God's favor will be on your marriage. We're going to go over these today. The first thing we need to understand about the marriage covenant is God is in charge. Not you. God created mankind and he created marriage in the relationship of mankind. So therefore, he is in charge of what he created, correct? I think we can all agree upon that in here? Christian head nods? At least act like you're listening to me, you know what I'm saying? Let's look at scripture to back this up, guys. In Genesis chapter 2, God created man in his own image. He took the dust of the earth and formed man, but God realized it was not okay for man to be alone. So God created all of the animals of the earth first. I want to pick it up there, guys. We're going to look at Genesis 2 20 through 22. The man gave names to all the livestock, this is Adam, and to the birds of the sky, and to every animal of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs out and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to man. Before we go further, I'm to stop right there. Y'all notice how God, when he made man, he just threw some dirt together. <laughs> but then he fashioned a woman. I did a little study on this word, guys. Do y'all know that the Hebrew for fashion is built? So the reason I bring that up is, ladies, the next time a man looks at you, says that you're built, he's being biblical, okay? <laughs> that was funny. That was good. Let's go look at verses 23 and 24. Then the man said, at last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. You know, I always think it's funny when I read this because Adam was like, dang. That woman is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Like, he's excited. You know she was good-looking to Adam. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I read when I read this. Anyway, I gonna get past that. I'm sorry. So Jesus repeats this in Matthew chapter 19, guys, but he also puts a stamp of God's ownership on the marriage covenant as well. So now I want to go look at Matthew 19, 4 through 6. Haven't you read the scriptures? They record... That from the beginning, God made them male and female. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother. He's repeating this and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Right. I'm trying to get the point across to y'all that the mar- marriage was created by God. Right. Y'all understand? It says it here. Don't let man tear apart what God created. Okay? Again, trying to get this point across, to y'all, and I know I'm going somewhere, I promise you. So from these scriptures, again, guys, we recognize that God created the marriage covenant, so therefore he is in charge of the marriage covenant, not the husband, not the wife, not the government. God is the CEO when it comes to your marriage covenant, okay? Do we get that point that God is in control? He is the boss. Need some amens thank you. The second thing we need to understand about marriage, or excuse me, the marriage covenant, is the chain of command. Why? All of a sudden I heard somebody, hmm, you know what I'm saying? The chain of command in the marriage covenant. Our God is a God of order. Everything he creates has an order. We are to always stick to his order of how he wants his things operated, especially covenants. Especially covenants. I'll tell you what, let's go ahead. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 11.3. But there is one thing I want you to know: the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. When you enter God's marriage covenant, you are under his covering first. He covers you and your spouse. But as we read here in this scripture, one spouse still covers the other. Uh, I want to simplify this with a, with a visual, guys. If you could pull up that umbrella picture for me, please. I mean, this is it, guys. This is, this is how this is broken down. This is the marriage covenant. Christ is number one. God is in control. He is the CEO of your marriage, right? Biblically, your husband is next. And then the wife follows. Now, before you ladies get mad at me, let me finish, okay? Don't get mad at me yet. God established the chain of command in the very beginning in Genesis because God created Adam before he created Eve. Some of y'all are like, now, wait a minute, hang on, but just, again, hear me out. This shows that he would hold the man responsible for his wife. Ladies, did y'all hear that? God holds the husband responsible for your well-being. The husband is held responsible for that. Back in Genesis chapter 2, God created man from the dust of the earth. We talked about that. After that, God breathed the breath of life into man and then placed him in the garden of Eden. So the first thing God did with Adam was he formed a relationship with him when he breathed the breath of life into him. He formed a relationship with Adam, right? But what he also did, guys need you catch, he put him in the garden of Eden as well. So he also gave him a home. So now he's got a relationship with God and he's got a home, but then God didn't want Adam to be a bum and just sit around all day, so he sent animals and gave him the job of naming the animals, okay? So now Adam has a relationship with God, a home, and a job. I'm going somewhere with this, y'all just bear with me. I want to go back now to Genesis 2.22, please. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to man. There's a few things I need to catch from this verse, guys. There's actually a lot. The first thing, God did not allow the woman to show up into the picture until Adam had a home, a job, and a place to live. Or excuse me, and a relationship with him, which was most important, right? Yeah, yeah. You think God knew what he was doing there? Ladies, God set the example of what you should be looking for right here. You see, God was preparing Adam for Eve. He was equipping him with what he needed to take care of his wife. A home, a job, and a relationship with God. The second thing that we need to get from this verse is Eve was submissive to God before she was submissive to Adam. She went with God. God brought her to man. She had not seen Adam yet. She was, Adam didn't say, hey girl, come here. (laughs) That's not how that worked. God took her to Adam. So again, ladies and men, I need you to catch. She was submissive to God before she was submissive to Adam. Y'all follow me? Notice Eve didn't wake up in a panic because she didn't have a husband. She didn't go to the bar or the honky-tonk and look for a man. There was probably one in the garden of Eden somewhere. I don't know. But instead, guys, I need you to catch what she did. She took God's hand and allowed God to lead her to Adam. God led the godly woman to a godly man. the main point of the story from this Adam and Eve, the whole story that we always need to grasp, husbands and wives, is they were both in a relationship with God first you see in the marriage covenant you're married to God first your spouse comes second everybody else comes after that but in that marriage covenant it's you and God first Christ is the head the marriage covenant the last thing we need to catch from this verse is notice God led Eve to Adam not Adam to Eve this shows that God was holding the husband responsible for his wife's well-being God brought Eve to Adam and said take care of her we see this in weddings right like I got three daughters I'm gonna do this three times I'm not looking forward to it where I gotta walk up to some dude He better be a really good dude. you got to walk up to some dude and hand my daughter's hand over to him and say, now you're in charge. That's what God was doing here. We practice this again every single wedding. You see the same thing. But men, we're not just responsible for your wife's well-being. You're also responsible for her actions as well. Let me explain. In Genesis chapter 2, God told Adam he could eat from any tree in the garden except from the tree of good and evil, correct? Then in Genesis chapter 3, Slick shows up. I call him Slick, it's Satan because he was a serpent. He was He's Slick, you know what I'm saying? He shows up and persuades Eve to eat from this tree. And instead of correcting Eve, Adam followed suit and ate from the same tree. And now, let's go see what happened after that. I know y'all know this story, but stick with me. I'm telling you, I'm getting there. Genesis 3, 8 through 9. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God among the trees in the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, Where Are you? He didn't call out to Eve. Ladies, I need you to grasp this. He didn't call out to Eve. He didn't call out to Adam and Eve. He said Adam. And the reason why is because when he handed. Her hand to Adam. Eve became Adam's responsibility. That's why. The covenant is the way that it is where it's Christ, then man, then woman. Ladies, for those of y'all that don't want to be submissive to your husband and so forth, I need you to understand something. We are held to a higher standard. Us men are held to a higher standard. And men, y'all need to understand that too. That's the biggest problem we've got today is men ain't figured that out. We are the ones that are held accountable, not just for the victories of our home, but the defeats of our home. When our wives do something wrong, when our children do something wrong, when you do something wrong, it is on you. You are the boss. The buck stops with you in your home. But there's a way that you've got to treat yourself. It's a way you've got to lead, okay? We're going to get to that here. I'm getting ahead of myself. Hang on. I'm fixing to really go off on that. Find my place. I lost my spot. Okay, so now we can understand that this is why it is God, husband, wife, okay? That is that is the, that's the order of the marriage covenant. The third thing that we need to understand about the marriage covenant are the roles of those involved. This one's fun. Three things. This is the third one, right? So first, we, uh, we're going to start with you men, and we're going to beat you up a little bit, okay? But since I am an equal opportunity type of person, I promise I will get to the wives next, Okay? ladies i want you to notice i i I didn't start with y'all even though women are always first right we should always let ladies go first and so forth but i want to tell y'all why i didn't start with y'all because see as a pastor every time i put a sermon together i always save the best for last (laughs) y'all remember that when i get to y'all's part okay yeah, that's right. Listen, you got to do what you got to do. I need some help. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Men, God gives you one command when it comes to your role as a husband in the marriage covenant. Let's go to Ephesians five, twenty-five. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Husbands, I'm going to ask you a question. How much did Christ love the church? To death so man i need you to understand something if you're still breathing you better be loving you may be asking yourself men you know but micah what's it look like to love our wives like christ loves the church God showed me the best way to explain this to you guys. This is really cool. He just showed it to me yesterday. I've done it before, but not to this angle. I want to look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always preserves. That's the love of God. Men, I want y'all to read this verse again. Except everywhere you see love or it, I want you to replace it with your name in regards to to how you're loving your wife. I'll do it for you, but you put your name in here. Micah is patient. Micah is kind. Micah does not envy. Micah does not boast. Micah is not proud. Micah does not dishonor others. Micah is not self-seeking. Micah is not easily angered. Micah keeps no record of wrongs. Micah does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Micah always protects. Get this last part, men. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always preserves. Mm. Men, if you feel that you're not loving your wife like that 90% of the time, you got work to do. And you notice I said 90% of the time because, listen, that's the love of Christ. We'll never be able to love like Christ loves. It's impossible. But 90% of the time, men, you better be on point. You should be able to read these verses, put your name in there in regards of how you're loving your wife, and you should feel like you're, you're doing the job. And again, if not, you've got a lot of work to do. One last thing I want to add on this, and I think we all know this, but I'm going I'm to point it out. In the marriage covenant, there is no room for abuse. That's right. Mentally, physically, emotionally, none of that is supposed to be in the marriage covenant. In fact, it's not. The minute that you put it in there, God's no longer in the center of your marriage and in that (laughs) marriage covenant. Abuse is not tolerated. It's not toler; It should never be tolerated. Now that I've made all the men feel terrible about themselves, I'm going to move on to you ladies. Now, y'all remember what I said earlier. Women, just like God, made the man's role crystal clear in the marriage covenant. He did the same thing for you guys. And I know y'all love it. Let's go look at Ephesians 5.33. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You men are grinning right now. (laughs) I love it. Ladies, your role in the marriage covenant is to honor and respect your husbands. This is where the dreaded word of submission comes into play. Let's go look at Ephesians 5, 22 through 23. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Now, ladies, before you judge the concept of submission, you need to truly understand it, okay? The concept of submission is not for you to be a doormat or a slave. That may be what the world is telling you guys, but it's not what the Bible tells us, okay? You see, the world's taken the word submission, and they've destroyed it biblical submission is a beautiful thing it's protection it's a covering it's a beautiful thing let's go look at the definition of biblical submission placing oneself willingly unwillingly willingly under the authority of another in keeping with the ultimate responsibility you have under christ So, yes, ladies, you are to be submissive to your husband. However, this submission comes with boundaries. You are only to be submissive to your husband if he is being submissive to God. Okay? It's like that abuse thing. That, that's not God. You're not submissive to a man that abuses you. If your husband ask you to do something that does not line up with scripture, you are not to be submissive to him. Remember, you are in a relationship and submissive to God first. Okay? But on the other hand, on the other hand, if you know that your husband is seeking God and doing everything he can to make the decisions Based on how God is moving him, based on scripture, based on faith, and not on pride, you must be submissive. That's hard. But I'm telling you right now, I've never seen it not work if the man's truly being led by God. Not one time he's batting a thousand, I'll just be honest with you. Now, for you single ladies, if your attitude is, I'm not going to submit to no man, that's fine. You just stay single. You have that right if you're a single person. That's fine. Just don't get married because God ain't going to like it. The marriage covenant, you better follow the guidelines that God puts in place. But for you married ladies that think the same way, it's too late for you. You need to change your heart. You need to change your attitude. Ladies, I want to uh, leave you with something to think about when it comes to this family covenant and your role. I want you to think about this, guys. You guys are in the, fa- in the family covenant. Okay, we're talking about marriage covenant today. But in the family covenant, it's the same as the marriage, but then the children are below you. Okay? Okay? And I want you to think about something. Your job, your role in the marriage covenant is to be submissive to your husband and and, and honor and respect him, okay? The children in the family covenant have the same role with you. So I want you to think about something. I really want you all to grasp this. When your children dishonor you and disrespect you, How's that make you feel? Don't you think about that? That's how it makes us feel as your husbands. Take that home with you today. I'm going to close with one more thing regarding the topic of submission, guys. Submission doesn't mean you are less of a person than the one who is above you in the covenant. That's not what that means. We are all the same when it comes to equality. Okay? Man, woman, we are the same equality. But we are all. It's it's different roles, guys, in the order of the marriage covenant. We're we're in different, it's a different order. We're equal as people. But under God's order, there's a difference. Okay? I want to go look at 1 Corinthians 11.3 again. But there is one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man And the head of Christ is God. For you ladies that don't think you can be submissive, Jesus Christ was submissive to God. Now, I realize God, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit's the Trinity, right? And they are equal in the Trinity. But there's an order. And this proves it. The head of Christ is God. So again, again, Ladies, I need you to understand, submission is is not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing. I want you to think about this, guys. I kind of asked this last week, but for you ladies, and men, I need you to listen to this. Ladies, if, if, if you had a man that protected you, that loved you, that you knew was on his knees every day praying, asking for God's guidance for his family, asking for him to give him direction on on how to be a better husband and how to be a better father. If you knew that your man prayed over you every day and claimed protection over you, health, joy, just speaking life into you every day, if you had a man that loved your children and raise them and discipline them in the ways of God. And if you had a man that loved you like Christ loved the church. Ladies, I'm going to ask you a question. Wouldn't you want to be submissive to that man? I didn't hear enough of y'all. Wouldn't y'all want to be submissive to that man? Men, this is what I hear from women all the time. There ain't enough of them out there. I hear it all the time. There ain't enough of them out there. That's right. The problem that we have, we don't have enough of these men and the ones that we do have aren't teaching it to the other men. Right. They're not teaching it to their sons the way that they should. Guys, this marriage covenant is serious. And if it is ran the proper way, if it is ran with agape love and the order that God put in place, it will grow legacies upon legacies through your family. So men, I'm begging you today, if you have sons, teach them this and teach it to them by example. Don't talk about it. Walk the walk. And for us men that have daughters, I'm very fortunate. I'm very fortunate to have a wife that is that true submissive wife that trusts me and knows that I'm seeking God. I'm also very fortunate to have a wife that will call me out when she knows I'm not seeking God. (laughs) But she's setting the example for my daughters of how a wife should be. But for you men that got daughters, you better lead the right way too and make sure you're setting the example of what your daughter needs to go after. Amen. Amen. Guy's submission, the marriage covenant. It's like a football team. Okay, I know we're gonna go sports at some point in time, right? You know, you take a football team. You, you've got a quarterback. You got a receiver. You got a tight end for, for you, ladies. Those are offensive players. Okay, and then you got linebackers and you got defensive ends. Those are defensive players. Okay, you got all these guys, different positions on the team. There's 22 positions on the team. 11 on offense. 11 on defense. 22 different guys, different skill sets, different strengths. Some are fast, some are slow. Some are strong, some not so strong. But you've got all these people together. Working in unison as one for one common goal. Now, here's the thing. They're all equal on the team. But there's an order. Some of them are team captains. In the marriage covenant, your husband's the team captain. Guys, but what you need to understand, men, you don't take that role and be prideful with it. That Bible said that God gave us a helper. You know why he gave us a helper? Because we need help. Amen. Always think about that. Like, where did Adam screw up? You know, like, he must have named something wrong. You know what I'm saying? It was probably hippopotamus. God was like, that's terrible. Why would you name him that? He said, I'm going to send you a woman to help you name these animals. But guys, all kidding aside, God, God knew we needed it. Let her help the decisions that you make in your home. Let her be a part of that. You don't just go make a decision without talking to your wife. Now, the final decision lays with you if you're seeking God for the answer. Ladies, that's one thing that I want y'all to, I I said this earlier about Amanda, but when your man is leading with pride, you point that out. You are the helper. Don't sit back and be silent. Your house is going to fall apart. Don't sit back and be silent. We need help. We need it bad, okay? That's y'all's role. Your role is just as important. I mean this. Your role is just as important as the man's role. The difference between you and the man is God's holding that man responsible for you and your children. But when it comes to making decisions, y'all should be doing that together. Amen? Husbands and wives, if you stay in the order that God has put in place for the marriage covenant, I can promise you your marriage will stay in God's favor. I promise you that. If it's not in order, let us help you. Let us help you. One thing I need y'all to understand about this church if your family is struggling, if your marriage is struggling, we want to help you because we know that's where God's kingdom is built in a major, major way. You know, the greatest compliment that I can receive as a pastor is when somebody comes to me and tells me, you know what, man, this family that goes to y'all's church, they're awesome. And they're setting the example. And I can tell that their marriage is great and their kids are in order. That's the greatest compliment we can receive at this church. Guys, it all starts in the home. It all starts in the home. Over the next couple weeks, I'm going to close this out. Over the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about You know, we were talking about submission, we were talking about, uh, you know, all these different roles and so forth. I'm going to really break those down the next two weeks, okay? So next week we're going to preach on marriage unity and and what it takes to have a strong, unified marriage, okay? And there's a lot of roles in that, a lot of characteristics, a lot of different ways that you can make that work. And then the week after that, I'm going to preach on how to have a peaceful marriage. Amen? Peaceful marriage. And how you can go about the marriage, the ways of marriage, and, and it be peaceful in your home. Who in here doesn't want a peaceful home? You know what I'm saying? None of y'all. Nobody said anything. Who in here doesn't want a peaceful home? Y'all are like, my home's already peaceful. You lying? It ain't peaceful? I, I know some of y'all, especially your kids. Um, <laughs> but guys, over the next two weeks, again, we're going to really break this down. If you're getting something from this the last two weeks, guys, y'all get back in here. Because the two after this, they're my favorite. <laughs> I'm glad that God is allowing me to preach this series because those two right there really capitalize on what you can do if your marriage is struggling to get it back on track. Okay?